the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, if you're headed toward Dublin this week, I'd be heading there today if I'm you. Wednesday, going to be a lot more congested. Thursday through Sunday, forget about it. Memorial Tournament is in town. That has always been the unofficial start of summer in Columbus. And uh, also, unofficial, farmers have always hoped to have their crops in the ground by the Memorial Day weekend aftermath, which results in the Memorial Tournament coming to Columbus because the... uh, Supposed curse of chief leatherlips usually opens the skies and we get torrential downpours. None of that's in the forecast. Temperatures are pretty moderate, escalating as the week progresses. So we'll see if the um, folklore of the leatherlips curse prevails or if we will get a dry uh, and pretty pleasant week. I could use some rain on my grass. But if we don't get any rain, uh, the tournament conditions will be hard and fast, and that is the way Jack Nicholas uh, prefers it. Uh, but that is not the way that it has typically been. One of the Memorial Tournament goes back to, like, 76, I think. So we'd be looking at 24 and 20. We're coming up on the 50th Memorial in a couple of years. So we'll see how that one goes. Um, competition. In sports is at the forefront of a um, detached-from-reality column written by a USA Today columnist uh, named Nancy Armour. She is uh, coming after uh, ESPN commentator Sam Ponder on the fact that uh, Sam Ponder has not uh, done enough to stand up for trans rights in sports. Before I get into that, Uh, Let me share with you the details of a father in California whose daughter is a competitive skier. And his daughter placed second in the state championship, tandem state championship, California, Nevada. She lost by 17 seconds. That's a lot in a ski race. 17 seconds. I mean, they're going fast, right? You see a 100-meter dash, somebody wins by a half a second. You're like, well, that wasn't competitive. Imagine how big the margin is in a ski race when you're going downhill, I think 70 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour maybe if you're a high school girl. Uh, You go a little faster if you're a high school boy pretending to be a girl because this father's daughter, who lost by 17 seconds, lost to a dude. A dude who goes by the name June... No, that's not the name. That's the name of the actual girl. Uh, The name of the boy, and this is what's wrong with this kind of reporting. No, the dude is June Watterson. Okay, June Watterson won the championship. The father of one of the girls Watterson beat, she's the one who's remaining anonymous. Okay, I don't love that. Come out, own it, you'll be surprised what allies you have. But he's speaking out anonymously, he says, because he's afraid that he'll be canceled if he protests. 
Now, this is a part of this that I hadn't thought about before. He says hormones and drugs are entering into the sport, which is not fair to the girls. I'm all about being inclusive and accepting people. But they have men racing in women's sports. It's pretty clear to me or anyone with a brain that you're going to have a big advantage if you've gone through male puberty and you race against people who haven't. Yeah, pretty obvious from the 17-second winning margin. And he notes something that gets no coverage in the media because, of course, it doesn't make the Democratic Party look good at all, and the media is not at all interested in making the Democratic Party look bad. So one of the things early in the show when I was talking about the debt ceiling and the agreement on the debt ceiling and how the House Republicans have passed an array of bills, and I don't usually get into what they are because they have no chance of becoming law because they won't be read on the floor of the Senate. They won't be signed into law by Joe Biden. One of those bills is that Republicans in the House voted for a bill that we still haven't voted for in Ohio, and I don't know why because it's been on the books for at least two years, the Protect Women's Sports Act. Republicans in the House of Representatives in Washington voted for this and passed it over the opposition of every single Democrat in the House. Not a single elected representative to the House of Representatives, who is a Democrat, voted to protect women from men pretending to be women to the extent that they are also competing in their sports. That is amazing. Now, to truly prove the lunacy of this California situation where you have a dude masquerading as a woman winning the state skiing championship between California and Nevada by (laughs) an incomprehensible margin, were he not a dude, of 17 seconds, is that when this same person competes in cycling competitions, he competes as a man. So this is specialized transgenderism. When I'm on snow, I feel like a woman. When I'm on pavement or mountain biking, then I feel like a man. You may be able to make sense of it. I cannot. I can make sense of Nancy Armour's column in USA Today, where she is ripping on ESPN commentator Sam Ponder for retweeting or liking things posted on social media that make the case for men playing men's sports and women playing women's sports. This takes courage from Sam Ponder because she works at ESPN. And ESPN, of course, is hopelessly, irrevocably woke. They're part of Disney. So they're not going to stand up for truth. They're going to take the side of the transgender and LGBTQ alphabet mafia. So Nancy Armour is ripping on Sam Ponder because Sam Ponder is relatively young, somewhere between 35 and 40 probably, very attractive, happily married to a former NFL quarterback, Christian Ponder, and a mom. So Sam Ponder, from the outside looking in, you say, well, she's got it all. She's got a happy marriage. She's beautiful. She's got... Happy kids. She's balancing a very successful work life, a very successful home life, which of course means that Sam Ponder has, uh, in the eyes of Nancy Armour, USA Today columnist, an excessive amount of privilege. Privilege. See, it's privilege that Sam Ponder has all this. It's not an accomplishment 
that she's able to balance the demands of a work life and a home life. Apparently, like, takes no effort on Sam Ponder's part. I've been at major sporting events where Sam Ponder was working. She had her adorable little daughter with her. Her daughter sat on the couch while Sam Ponder did her thing, college football-wise. Then they got in the car and they went back home to wherever they live in the area. Uh, I'm not going to say the city in case there's some crazy lunatic out there who would want to find her. But Nancy Armour is condemning Sam Ponder for standing up for fairness in sports. It's, I know, a shocking position for somebody who covers sports to insist on fairness in competition, right? Nancy Armour says, this is not about fairness. The argument against transgender girls and women, fake girls and women, is not about fairness. It's about, according to Nancy Armour, hate, fear, and ignorance. Well, turn that finger around, Nancy, because you're the one hating on Sam Ponder, who's much more accomplished than you are. And you're certainly ignorant to what fair competition means. Nancy Armour writes, Ponder's quest for fairness is a sham. Well, please tell me what you mean by that. She says, Sam Ponder has never mentioned the fact that women athletes are being treated unfairly and robbed of opportunities to participate because most schools aren't providing, get this, equitable funding for their men's and women's programs. Schools are shortchanging women's athletes on scholarship money and are manipulating numbers to make it look as if they are complying with Title IX. Well, that's a curious argument for Nancy Armour to make since the Biden administration wants Title IX to apply to dudes playing women's sports. Get a load of how stupid this logic is. Nancy Armour is making the case that it is the same thing for schools, in her estimation, to underfund women's sports. To her, that is the same egregious thing, it's worse in her eyes, than a man playing a women's sport. So let's look at those two things and see if they are remotely equatable. When women are, let's just submit facts not in evidence, underfunded, is there a competitive advantage given to any woman no because they're all underfunded but if a guy is allowed to play a women's sport is there a competitive advantage yes of course because he's bigger stronger faster genetically different than a woman in every way smaller waist bigger feet bigger hands faster twitch muscle fibers there is no competitive advantage given if all women's field hockey teams are underfunded or basketball teams, or whatever. There's no competitive advantage. They're all playing by the same rules. But with a transgender athlete, they are not playing by the same rules. Not genetically. That's the difference. So the interesting thing about going to graduation parties, I'm sure you experience it just like I do. You see people you haven't seen in a long, long time. And some of the people that you see that you haven't seen in a long, long, long time are the kids of families that you used to hang out with. In our case, it's a church that we used to go to. We now go to a different church, so we don't see, you know, probably 30, 40 families that we used to see on a weekly basis. And we got to know them eight, nine, ten years ago 
when we left church and in our minds, they're like frozen in time, right? Well, they're frozen in time. The adults don't change much. But when you see their kids, you're like, I have no idea. I mean, I sort of kind of know that I should know who you are, but I don't know who you are. They're taller. They're more mature. And that's one of the fun aspects of seeing young people grow up. And then you see all their accomplishments that are recorded. You see every certificate that they've gotten, every athletic award, every academic award. And you hear their dreams for the future and all that. It's a really cool way of perpetuating the idea that in America, anybody who works hard enough, anybody who devotes themselves to making good life decisions can put themselves on a path to success and someday will grow up to be a productive member of society. And one of the things that sort of dictates that you have done things the right way is, or at least traditionally has been, home ownership. Home ownership, right? Because most graduation parties, not all but most, take place at the home of the graduate. And so in our case last year when we hosted a graduation party, you work like, you know, you've never worked before to get everything just perfect, the mulching, the mowing, the edging, this, that, and the other, because you want to put your best foot forward. What does that indicate? It indicates pride of ownership. Now, as I go to graduation parties now, and I think about young people as they head off to college or they're going to a trade school or they're just getting a job and they're starting to save and all that, I wonder, are the things that I prize that I set as a target off in the distance are those within the reach of our young people now who are stepping out of the nest for the first time, whether it's college or into the workforce, can they attain those things that have traditionally meant the achievement of the American dream? It shouldn't surprise you that into that picture of what is always equated success as an American citizen, comes the infiltration of leftist concepts and ideas. Because the left is very good, exceedingly good, depressingly good, at co-opting language and sneaking past you with seemingly benign terms. Concepts that if you really stop to think about it, you'll go, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. For instance, at one of the parties that I went to over the weekend, I was talking to a school board member. And we were talking about an expansion of home building in the area where she is on the school board and the challenges that that presents to the local school district. And we were talking about this development here and this development here and this development here. And then she said, you know, there's a real push for affordable housing out there all across central Ohio. And I said, yeah, I know that's a big leftist talking point. And she like looked at me and this is a smart woman. She's a smart woman. And she's like, well, I don't understand what you mean. And I said, well, let's take the case of the communities in central Ohio where they purportedly don't have enough affordable housing. And the areas that are most often cited are Dublin, Upper Arlington, New Albany. Coincidentally, or not, all three of them have always been viewed as 
neighborhoods you'd aspire to get into, right? Why? Because the schools are good and the neighborhoods have been traditionally pretty safe. That's what we want out of our neighborhood, right? We don't want gunfire erupting next door. We don't want loud noises at night. We want other people who mow their lawns. We don't want six-foot-high grass. We don't want mosquitoes, snakes, raccoons. We just want somebody to live next door to us. They don't have to look like us. They don't even have to believe like us. They don't have to share our political ideology. They don't have to share the same ethnicity. They don't have to share the same skin color. All we want out of them is what we offer them, which is we're a good neighbor. We mind our own business. We're pleasant when we see each other in the driveway. Maybe we become friends. That's great. Maybe we are friendly enough we can go over when we're out of milk. Hey, do you have any milk? Can borrow a gallon of milk? Or maybe it's just a peaceful coexistence, but you don't really interact. That's all we're really asking for out of a neighbor. So I said to her, I said, okay, so here are three areas where we supposedly don't have enough affordable housing. Dublin, New Albany, Upper Arlington. I said, have you ever driven through Upper Arlington recently? Yes, I have driven through Upper Arlington recently. I said, are there vast swatches of Upper Arlington that are uninhabited? (laughs) She laughed. She's like, no, of course not. And I said, well, then the housing there must not be unaffordable because somebody affords it. And then I could see the light bulb go on. She's like, oh. Here in our neighborhood, they want to add, or in our in our district, they want to add more affordable housing. And I said, no, they don't want to add more affordable housing. They want to add more low-income housing. They just don't want to call it low-income housing. Because if you call it low-income housing, everybody goes, whoop, I don't want that. Because with low-income housing, if you don't have skin in the game, if you don't have pride of ownership, what tends to happen? You don't take as good a care of it. You don't try to spruce it up. You don't try to maintain it. So the whole push for affordable housing, and there's another story today on one of the TV websites here in town. Oh, we have a a desperate paucity of affordable housing. We're going to have to have more affordable housing. Are we? Are we going to have to have more affordable housing? Or would it be better if we had people who aspired to achieve the things that you have to achieve to live in neighborhoods that traditionally have been neighborhoods you can only get into if you do things the right way. Would that be better? Would that be better? I would submit that that would be better than just giving people a workaround. Yeah, you can, here, you can live in Dublin. Here, you can live in Upper Arlington. Here, you can live in New Albany. So what we can do is we can bring the problems of areas in town into areas of town that previously have been immune from those problems because people who did not share the same values did not get into those neighborhoods. I'm not talking skin color. I'm talking values. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.